Have you ever found yourself holding a cheap knockoff? A knockoff version of what's real, maybe a, a replica of the real thing. My, my niece has a birthday on the 4th of July. So that means that every year on the 4th of July, we usually get together with Callie, my wife Callie's side of the family, uh, and we gather together at their house to celebrate. So in addition to the normal 4th of July barbecue and fireworks and ice cream cake that we have, one of the staples of her birthday party has become her birthday banner. So uh, many years ago when she was a little girl, my sister-in-law went and bought her a birthday, a 4th of July themed birthday banner. So one that had stars and stripes and red, white, and blue. And she went to the store, bought it, brought it home. Uh, and it says, happy birthday. <laughs> like you had one job. And, and, and it kind of became iconic. Again, she's 21 now, but every year for the last like decade or so, we hang the banner up, uh, happy birthday. Um, so again, there's some things that just aren't quite as they ought to be, a cheap knockoff. And banners we can laugh at. It's like, ha, 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 happy birthday. Other things are more important, though. Other things uh, are too important that we can't settle for less. We can't settle for cheap knockoffs. And I would argue prayer is one of them. Can't settle for cheap, trite, knockoff prayers. The stakes are too high for flimsy, simplistic substitutes. So if you haven't been with us, welcome. We've been spending about the last month here in the Lord's Prayer, this place in the Gospels where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And every week we pray, as we've done today, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And our heart in taking this kind of one piece at a time, one line at a time, is to slow down enough so that we don't settle for cheap knockoff prayers, but that our hearts get captured and captivated by what God is calling us into. So here's where we've been so far. Go to the next slide. When Jesus taught his disciples to, to pray, he said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That was last week. We talked about the kingdom, all the mysteries of the kingdom, which brings us this week to the next line that says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, maybe it's just me, Maybe it's you too. But that line of prayer can be prayed flippantly. See, this prayer, your will be done, is a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of submission, isn't it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's where people, individually, but also corporately, collectively, 
where we pray and we humbly submit our will to God. Your will be done. But we can pray that flippantly, cheaply. What I would say is overly simplistically. We can pray your will be done passively. Eh, your will be done. Or we can pray that flippantly like we're giving up. Sometimes we can pray that prayer, your will be done like, ah, I've run out of options. And so I guess, I guess I'll settle for your will being done. Find God, your way, go ahead, I give up, you win. And, and that kind of a prayer is a prayer with less effort and less earnestness. It's passive. It's a prayer of exhausted, exasperated resignation. Like, ah, your will be done. That's not what Jesus is teaching us to pray. That's not how Jesus is teaching us to pray. And the reason why I know that is because of the scriptures. I've read the gospels before. And yes, we read, we're camping out here in this teaching of Jesus, but I've also read the life and ministry of Jesus. And there's another scene in the life of Jesus where Jesus not only teaches prayer, but where Jesus prays. In fact, there's another scene where Jesus prays almost this exact thing. So there's, there's a famous quote. I know I've shared it before. If we can go to the next slide. It's from Oliver Wendell Holmes. I, I shared this, I think, in our Fruit of the Spirit series. But he says, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig. But for the simplicity on the other side of complexity, for that I would give you anything I have. For those of you that are visual learners, put the next slide up. Next slide. Not coming? No, it's frozen. It's frozen. All right. There it is. So as he says, he goes, for the simplicity on, here's the complexity, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig. It's not worth much. It's kind of worthless. We would call that being simplistic. But if you manage to make your way through the complexity, there is a simplicity on the other side of complexity that's really beautiful. And there's an elegant simplicity but so often we just like want to settle for this because who wants to deal with that? No one. Like, I want to get through that. That seems hard. That seems complex. And as Oliver Wendell Holmes says, he's like, for that kind of simplicity, the, the simplistic thinking where you just like give, again, cheap, trite, naive answers, that's simplistic. But on the other side of complexity, there's something that is really simple that is really beautiful, and that is valuable. So I'll be candid, this prayer, this part of the prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a simple prayer. It is simple, but it's not simplistic. And I say that because of Jesus. So here in Matthew 6, which we've read, Jesus is teaching on prayer. But then later on in the Gospels, we get to hear Jesus speak in prayer. 
And whenever I come to this line, this part of the Lord's Prayer, I go back to this scene that I want to spend some time in today, and it's the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the scene where Jesus spends some time in prayer before he goes to the cross. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Hopefully we can pay attention and capture this prayer that's on the other side of complexity. Mark chapter 14, verse 33. I'm going to read the passage and then I'll set the scene. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So here's my hope, is that Jesus' preaching and his passion activity would teach us how to pray. Both what he taught us how to pray and how he prayed would come together in a way like, oh, I see what he means here. So what's happening in this scene? As you may or may not know, that scene, Mark 14, is near the end of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus has just celebrated the Passover with his disciples, and they went into the upper room, and they, Jesus kind of repurposed the Passover meal. And he served his disciples one final time. Then the scriptures say they sang a hymn, And from there they left, and they went to the Mount of Olives. And then as a group, they go to Gethsemane, which is an old, ancient olive orchard, a garden. And so Jesus is there in this garden, and he begins to pray. Again, understanding the scene. This is like moments away from the betrayal, Moments away from when Judas would lead the soldiers to come and arrest him. Hours away from his arrest and his false trial. A day away from his crucifixion. So Jesus gathers his close three, Peter, James, and John. And he prays. Now obviously we've already... We've read the passage, so you know how this ends. The cards are on the table. Uh, I just want to slow down and pay attention to all that's happening in this scene to understand this, the beautiful, elegant simplicity of this prayer. Because before Jesus gets to the place of saying, your will be done, there's a whole lot else that happens. I just want to note these things. So here, verse 34 Here's the first stop through the complexity. Jesus says to his friends, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. The first stop through the complexity is Jesus' own emotions. In this moment, Jesus acknowledges what he's feeling. Or put another way, this prayer is not cold and dispassionate. 
It's not cold and calculated. Do you see the words that Mark uses to describe what's going on in Jesus? Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Backing up, verse 33, when he gathers Peter, James, and John, Jesus begins to be greatly distressed and troubled. I hope you can kind of grab the emotional weight of what Jesus is carrying in this scene at this moment. He's troubled, he's distressed, he's very sorrowful, even to death, he says. I'm not sure how often we think about the emotions of Jesus, but he's got them all here in this moment. Other, other translations says that he was overwhelmed with sorrow. That's the NIV. The New Living says that he was crushed with grief. And then Eugene Peterson in the message, he sank into a pit of suffocating darkness. And he told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. So Jesus is not having a happy, clappy day. He's not just kind of like bouncing through life as the son of God. Like the, the weight of this moment, <laughs> the pit of suffocating darkness. That's where Jesus is at. Sometimes we feel like we have to be good Christians and pray good prayers. And oftentimes we feel that to pray good prayers, we have to bypass our emotions, especially the dark, unpleasant ones. But have you ever lived on planet Earth? Have you ever taken stock of the world around us? Sometimes we feel angry and distressed and troubled and like we're going to die, crushed with grief, overwhelmed. We feel like we're in the, suffoc- the pit of suffocating darkness. Like, yeah, I felt that. And I guess I just find it really helpful to know that as Jesus is praying this prayer, here's where he's at. That good, effective prayer doesn't bypass that part of our humanity. Jesus got angry. Jesus felt like throwing up, like he's going to die. Troubled, overwhelmed, grief. And it's not just like, okay, but this is actually essential to our humanity to feel this way and to acknowledge that. Have you read the news this week? Have you watched online this week? Have you seen the videos this week? The carnage, the killing, the hatred, the dehumanizing, the weeping, the mourning, the suffering, the retaliation, the cycle of violence. So we can feel like we're in the pit of suffocating darkness. But all of those things show up in this prayer. In fact, I would argue that they're welcomed in this prayer. That they're present in this prayer. They're required in this prayer. Your will be done is not cold calculated. It takes the fullness of what we experience to bring it into the prayer. It's the first stop in the complexity. Our emotions. What are you feeling? Do you feel permission to bring that to God? Do you feel like you have to hide that from God? Can you be honest with God? Okay, second stop along the complexity. 
He acknowledges not only his emotions, but that he also does acknowledge God's power. Verse 36, he, he's feeling all sorts of sideways, all sorts of overwhelming grief and trouble and the pit of suffocating darkness. But in verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So Jesus is facing the prospect of death, and he knows what lies ahead. He knows that he's come to Jerusalem to die. He knows that in a matter of moments, Judas is going to come and betray him. In a matter of minutes and hours, he's going to be brutally beaten and arrested and bloodied through the night. Crucifixion is on its way. And its crucifixion was about as inhumane as it gets. A very real death inching toward Jesus. But part of Jesus' prayer is a recognition of the person and character of God. And so he prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And in the midst of all the mixed emotions he's feeling, he still is able to recognize the power and possibility of God in the midst of it. I think that's a powerful statement to make. Sometimes, often in trial, in difficulty, hard seasons... It feels like we are powerless, and it feels like God is powerless. It feels like the options have run out. It feels like our backs are against the wall, the solutions are limited, but that's not how Jesus is praying. Even when he feels heaviness and grief and sorrow, he's still in the midst of his emotional turmoil, in the pit of suffocating darkness, he's declaring the power of God. Father, all things are possible for you. God, you are in charge. Father, you are not limited. Father, you have not exhausted all of your options yet. God, your back is not up against the wall, though it feels like we all are up against the wall. All things are possible for you. Sometimes people contrast a, a poverty mindset versus an abundance mindset. In this prayer, he understands that there's possibility because of Abba father again this is not cold calculated prayer this is not exasperated resignation fine whatever your will be done depth of emotion powerful possibility all the while then also the the third stop in this complexity is that he acknowledges his own desires What does Jesus want in this moment? This is, this is really fascinating when you look at Jesus praying. Again, amidst the emotion, amidst the possibilities, Jesus also prays what he wants. Doesn't he? What, what does Jesus want? Sorry, that was all at once. What? Yeah. Jesus doesn't want to die. He says, remove this cup from me. All things are possible for you, including the possibility that you could remove this cup from me, which is another way of saying, like, I, I really would rather, is there another way? Is there another way other than betrayal, arrest, beating, crucifixion? Any other way, any other plan, any other possibility. The cup he's referring to is the cup of God's wrath. The suffering and death that's about to come for the sins of the world. 
The, the Old Testament prophets spoke of the cup. Isaiah spoke of the cup. Ezekiel spoke of the cup. Speaking of drinking the fury and terror of God's judgment. So Jesus looking ahead as to what's to come, he knows that that's what he is about to face, drinking down the judgment of others for the sin of the world. And Jesus is saying, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. So again, Jesus, far from emotionless, far from dishonest, he's not robotic. Okay, God, whatever you want. It's like, like, really, this is what I would prefer. What a, that's a giant mix of complexity. All of the emotion, a belief in God's possible power, and a personal preference to not have to have it go down this way. This is not simplistic. This is extremely complex, as is your life and your world. And the invitation that God has for you in this. Are you willing to be honest with God? Are you able to candidly speak, not just how you feel, but also, like, what, what, what would you want? Sometimes we don't even know what we want. But do we feel the freedom to name that in the midst of this? Jesus did. Father, all things are possible. Uh, remove this cup from me. Any other way would be great. And yet that's not where the prayer ends, is it? Where does it end? The beauty of the last line, verse 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Or if you read it in Matthew's gospel, let this cup pass from me, nev nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm feeling horrific. Emotions all over the place. Distress, troubled, sorrow, grief. All things are possible. Remove this cup, but at the end of the day, your will be done. Again, I just want you to pay attention to the, the journey of the prayer through all these places. And yet, at the end of the day, Jesus entrusts himself and he believes that God's will is best. So, some theologians talk about the will of God in different ways. There's different kinds of God's will. Some talk about God's will of direction, which is when we're like trying to figure out what to do. Should I do this? Should I do that? What's God's will of direction? Some people talk about God's will of decree, meaning that what God says happens. Like when God says, let there be light, there's light. You can't stop God's decree. And there's the, the will of direction. There's the will of decree, and there's the will of desire. What does God command? What does God want? What does he call us to as we follow him? And in this kind of prayer, as Jesus is praying, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what happens in heaven. There's a lot that happens in heaven. But in heaven, every command of God is fulfilled with cheerful and joyful obedience. Not so much here on earth. So here's maybe the million-dollar question. 
Like, how does Jesus do that? How is he able to pray through his emotions, mindful of God's possible power, naming his desires, and still end at a place of surrender and submission? And I don't think there's a, an easy button. Like, there's no shortcut on this. There's no, like, magic, easy way out or through it. What's, what's strong enough to handle our strong emotions? What's big enough to somehow hold and overcome our honest desires and personal preferences? Honestly, again, no easy button or shortcuts, but at the end of the day, here's what I see in the life of Jesus that allows him to pray, your will be done, and it comes back to relationship with Abba. That the only thing for him that was greater than his emotions and stronger than his preferences and, and, and somehow stabilizing in the midst of the chaos was the fact that he had an Abba. It comes back to, to trust. It comes back to character and trust. I am able to trust in this one that I have come to know and it's my father. And so to say your will be done is not like, oh, I guess, whatever. It's not exhausted resignation. It's not passivity. It's actually a place of saying, Father, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust your way in your will. Your will be done. Your way is better. It's not that I've run out of options. I'm choosing to run into your arms. That's what the, the heart of the prayer is not just, I got nothing else, I've run out of things. It's, no, I'm willingly choosing to trust your character, your trustworthiness, your track record, that you have a better way and you have a better plan. Your will be done here on earth in a world that has said, forget you, God, my way. No, 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 no. May your will be done here with joyful and cheerful obedience as it is in heaven. In his deepest, darkest hour of need, that's where Jesus goes. My emotions are crazy right now, strong right now, all over the place right now, but Abba, I trust you. My desires are firm. I would rather to remove this cup, but Abba, I trust your way. That's why I think this Gethsemane scene is so helpful and powerful. The stakes are crazy high for Jesus here. This is not just like a, should I buy a red car or a blue car? Your will be done. Like death is on the line. Should I watch that movie or not? High stakes. And he somehow finds a way to entrust himself to his father. The fact that there could be a good, redemptive, cosmically beneficial outcome on the other side of death through the absolute worst-case scenario rings a bell for us. It rings this bell of reminder that we may not know it all, and we may not see it all, and we may not understand it all, but there is one who does. Like, how, how possibly could there be good in Jesus being brutally beaten, crucified, killed? Like, how that seems like the worst possible thing. And it is the worst possible thing, unless it's part of God's bigger redemptive plan for the whole of the creation. Yep. And if there's a God big enough to get mad at, 
then maybe that God is big enough to have reasons and a plan. Maybe he has something in store that we don't know and understand and that we can't see and that what we're called to in those moments is to trust Abba. Again, I don't want to be trite or simplistic, but it keeps coming back to character and trust. Is Abba good? Is Abba trusted? Can the Father see and know things that I may not understand, that he could somehow in his power and possibility use for good? In the end, is his way best, or do I have to have my way? Could he ask us to even walk through pain and suffering and difficulty, hardship and trial for some good reason that I may not know? And Jesus is like, I'm going to choose that. My emotions say, no way. My preferences say, remove the cup, but not my way. Your will be done. Time and again, through the story of the Bible, the answer about the character and goodness of God, the trustworthiness of God, the answer through the story is a resounding yes. Ask Abraham when he's asked to leave his family and move to the place he doesn't know. Ask Joseph when he's in prison and he's wrongfully accused. Ask Esther when she's required to face the king and intercede. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Ask Daniel in the lion's den. Ask Mary when she's asked to carry God's child. Ask Jesus in the garden. Ask Jesus on the cross. And the answer throughout the story of the scripture is that Abba is good and Abba's way is best even when I can't see it in the moment and my emotions say no and my preferences say no, that the Father can be trusted. Not that you've just run out of options, but that his way is best. Run into his arms. Place those things before his feet. Not a prayer of resignation. It's a prayer of relationship. And again, just being honest, candid, in my life, so many times, so many places, so many ways, I don't live as though I believe this. And I would rather pray, my will, not yours be done. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way, you need to put your heart and will like metal into a fire You need to put your heart into the fiery furnace of God's love and truth until it becomes soft so it can become shaped into the same shape as God's will. It's the fiery furnace of God's perfect love and God's perfect truth that softens our will to be shaped to his. Or as John Wesley once put in his famous prayer, I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. O now... And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine, so be it. 
and the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And that's a crazy hard prayer to pray. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Be full for you or emptied for you. But I want what you want for me. May the heat of the fire of the love of God, the perfect love of God, the character of God, the trustworthiness of God generate enough heat to soften our wills, to be bendable to him. This is not simplistic. It's complex. Not cold and calculated. Not resigned or exhausted resignation. Not robotic bypassing of dreams, fears, wants, and desires, but joyful, willful, obedient trust in a Father who has proven himself over and over and over and over again. So a couple questions as we end today. As we navigate the complexity of our emotions, like what is making you angry? Overwhelmed. Grieved. What feels like the pit of suffocating darkness to you? Like, would you be willing to name that before God? God's not asking you to bypass that. He wants to engage you here. Also, the complexity of our desire. Like, what, what do you want? Are you able to name that before God? What is your desire? What do you honestly want? Are there things that the Father may be inviting you to surrender to him, to lay down? May we learn to pray the elegant simplicity, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot here to bring before you. And as you're teaching us to pray, you're also just teaching us how to live. You're teaching us how to engage you. And these ideas of your kingdom coming and the idea of your name being hallowed being declared and known and recognized as holy, this idea of, of our will being surrendered to your will here on earth as it is in heaven with cheerful and joyful surrender and obedience to you. God, there's so many places in our world and in our lives that are not in alignment with that. And so I would pray that you, in your grace, by your power, would keep opening our eyes to see and that you would keep teaching us to surrender. And then the places where our emotions are just all over the place, or even our desires are in one particular direction, where we desire an ability to trust you, Abba, Father, that your will would be done. Because it's what we would want to, because we believe that it's actually good.
God, I pray for those that may be in the room today that do not yet know you. I pray that even in this morning, there's some things where they sense your presence and hear your voice and invitation to take a step of faith to say yes to you. To take an embodied action toward you. I pray for those this morning where this area of surrender is really hard and in spite of emotions and preference, uh, you are calling in a different way. God, help us to, to know, to respond, to obey, to surrender, to trust. Draw us close to your Father heart. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.